Welcome to the Entertainment Engine. Hi, I'm Pete Moore. And my name's Bex Gregory. And together we are the co-hosts of the Entertainment Engine podcast. We are really excited to share more information about our show. The podcast is for new and existing creatives working in music, film and TV. Weekly, we provide our listeners with information, advice and knowledge to help people navigate a career in the entertainment industry. Plus, we have fantastic guests from the world of entertainment who share their stories with us, where we learn from their experience of working in the entertainment business, built in with some fun facts along the way. So be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, plus many others. We look forward to welcoming you to the show. So this week we had a really great chat with Marcus Welch, co-founder and CEO of Quadio. Marcus is a lifelong fan of emerging genre blending and experimental music who DJed his first radio show at just 14 years of age and entered the music industry by joining Twitter's music partnerships team where he worked with artists including Lizzo, Hines, Erica Badu and Pusha T. He later joined Blizzard Activision in operations and digital marketing strategy roles for Hearthstone and World of Warcraft. In 2018, Marcus joined forces with his step-cousin Joe Welch and founded Quadio, a digital hub for collaboration, opportunity and exposure. Quadio is the College Creative Network. We really hope you enjoy the conversation we had with Marcus. Well, welcome to another episode of The Entertainment Engine. And today we are joined by New York entrepreneur Marcus Welch. Marcus, how are you? I'm doing really well, thanks. Uh, been a busy week. I suppose um, before we get into it and asking you the dreaded question, how have you coped with um, the pandemic, and have you had any of your shots yet? I have, yeah. I've been I've been fully vaccinated for a minute, um, which is great. Uh, my wife and I were able to get uh, the J and J one um, like a week before it got discontinued. Oh, um, oh wow! Right. Yeah, but. I mean, we've been happy with it. No, no problems here. It's been, it's been good though. I mean, the vaccine was great. Pandemic, not so much. Um, but it's been. I mean, we've been able to see a lot more of each other, myself and my wife and my dog. So can't complain <laughs> yeah. about that. Is that a good thing or not? <laughs> it's, it's, I, I think it's been good. I think it's been oh, great. Cool. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, our dog has certainly become a little bit more attached than. Maybe we would have hoped, but uh, she's just a sweetheart, so we can't blame Aww. her. They probably like having you around, I would have thought. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sort of working from home mainly, you know, with your sort of work and that side of it's not affected you too much? No, yeah. I mean, we we made the transition to, to, to like, totally remote um, really early on. Uh, we've, we were actually in the middle of moving into a new office space. We were moving out of a WeWork and into our own office space. Literally the week that the pandemic was like, everybody was starting to go remote. So mm. we had an office that was just sitting there with a bunch of unpacked boxes. Yeah. Uh, but we were just able to start getting back into it about a month ago. And it's been really like, we've treated it as like, if you want to come in, if you feel safe coming in, you can go into the office and it's been good. And people are going in, you know, two, three days a week if they want to. Um, or if there's like a team doing a big project together, it's been nice to have a space for that. But yeah, I mean, we're now sort of starting to settle into that, although we'll, we're keeping an eye on it with the, how things are going with the Delta variant and just trying to trying to make sure we're adhering yeah. to all the all the rules and, and make sure our, our team feels safe. Yeah, exactly. And trying to get back to some sort of normality, isn't it, really? So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but um, be great, Marcus, is really just to sort of delve into how you sort of got started because I know you sort of had your first taste uh, in the sort of industry. You had your first radio show at like 14, wasn't it? So that <laughs> must have been a great experience. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, it, it was an interesting time. I, um, I went to a high school, a boarding high school, and I didn't have a ton of hobbies. Uh, I didn't know anybody going in, so I was looking around for clubs to join, uh, to sort of meet people and 
my mom suggested that I try the radio because I'd always been pretty obsessed with music and talking about music <laughs> to anyone who would listen. Yeah. Uh, so that felt like a good match there. Yeah, I, I, I was able to get a show. And I think it really helped me sort of develop a deeper love for music and a broader one as well. Um, because you think you have a really diverse and broad taste of music and then you realize you have to fill up an hour worth of songs that you love every week um, with new stuff. Uh, and after a couple of years, you've run through all your favorite albums and you run through all your favorite artists and you realize, oh, I have to look for new stuff all the time. Um, and that was kind of something I, I gravitated towards really early on. I liked putting uh, artists on my show that were totally unheard of. So I got into just doing hours of, <laughs> I should have been doing homework, doing hours of like research on up and coming bands, scouring weird blogs, trying to find <laughs> the, the coolest stuff. And then, I mean, this was, there was not lyrics uh, widely available for any of the stuff. And it was a terrestrial radio for my high school. So I had to listen to everything like three times through with a fine tooth comb to make sure there was no swears or anything like that before I could put it on the show. Mm -hmm. it, it was, I mean, it was a lot of research um, and it, it, it made me appreciate and love the process of discovering someone amazing that you want to put people onto. Um, and I would say for the first few years of the show, I was a really shy and I really didn't like hearing my voice on the radio and I still don't love hearing my own voice, <laughs> but uh, I grew to spend more of the show talking about the music um, over time. And I, I think it started out where I would say like one sentence about each song and by the end it was maybe 50-50 music and discussing the music and the artist behind it. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that helped me um, formalize like a process and set a, setting aside time for music research, music discovery. And it also, I think, like deepened my relationship with the music that I was listening to. I had to understand what I was going to say about it, form opinions about it, et cetera, in a ways that I, I think I'd just been doing passively before. But if I was going to actually be talking about it on the radio, it made me really like think harder about it and put pen to paper. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And doing it at such a young age as well, yeah. it sort of really sort of opened opened you up, didn't it, really, to, to the whole world. And like you say, the research is more to it, isn't it? And you sort of opens your mind and, and you you know, gives you a diverse Definitely. array of different styles to listen to. So, yeah, it sounds great. Yeah. Also as well, Marcus, I think um, I'm a big fan of radio as well. Obviously, we all are. Otherwise, we wouldn't <laughs> be talking today, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think... Um, one of the things I learned with radio, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure you'd have a good point on this as well, is especially when you're in your car and you put a show on and you listen to some music. I mean, I would always find music generally from radio. You think, mm. oh, where did I hear that? Yeah. So you must have had some great experiences with some really obs obscure but cool acts as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, the show it, in its first year, because I think it went through many iterations over my time doing it, but its first year was like I tried to alternate between like the classics like Bowie and the Beatles and stuff like that. And then, then alternating that with something like I was hoping nobody had really heard before. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think over, cause I did radio all through high school and then I had ended up having two shows in college and doing a couple of internships at Sirius XM and like really getting into it, but it, it grew to be a longer show. It ended up being a four hour show in college and it was just all about unheard stuff. Uh, and, and things that I felt were pushing boundaries in really cool ways. And so, yeah, it, was a, it, it really was a good time for me to, to get into it. it like, it, it shaped how I think about music, how I interact with music and, uh, from a super young age, yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah, yeah, and no, yeah, yeah. I, I think that sort of um, takes us on nicely as well, Marcus, because I sort of understand you pursued A&R as well, which obviously I think you're, you're in a good position then, and you work for in Twitter's music partnership with different acts like Lizzo and Erica Badu and Pusha T. I mean, yeah. going from what you did and then working for a big conglomerate like Twitter, I mean, that must have been, mm. wow, what a great experience as well. Definitely. Yeah, Twitter was interesting. I I really thought I was going to go into radio after college. Um, I really thought I was, like, I had talked um, a lot with the folks at SiriusXM and I thought that was going to be, like, what I wanted to do. But um, as I was like, sort of exploring opportunities, Twitter just kept on presenting itself as something really, really exciting. Um, and the job, I didn't think I really understood it before I accepted the offer. 
Um, I just thought it was like a really <laughs> cool company and the opportunity was incredible. And it was, it, I think it took a lot of what I, a lot of skills that I had honed in radio, specifically around research and understanding music um, and, and forced me to build on those quite a lot. I mean, that was a nice foundation, but at Twitter, the, the music partnerships role there was, I think the way I try and describe it to people was like, we helped musicians do awesome stuff on Twitter to engage with their audiences, build their following and like get the most out of the platform. Mm. And uh, I was specifically working with sort of the developing acts, um, a lot of the indie artists, a lot of labels that uh, are independent labels. But from time to time I got to work with, there was definitely, like like you said, um, Lizzo, but this was, I mean, Lizzo was, was not the household name that she is now. Uh, no, back then no. uh, but Erica Badu an amazing artist an amazing person mm. yeah and Pusha yeah. T as well one yeah. of my all-time favorites so those were both artists that were incredible to work with but I was uh I was young and and still learning on my feet there but it, I, I think it was it was the job taught me um not only like how to continue in a professional sense that music research and understanding you know what's coming up which artists should we have on our radar but also how do artists want to engage with their audience and like what does an audience want from an artist in a social setting and and how does an artist want to use a social platform to engage with their audience and where are the crossroads there in that relationship where are the things that like where both parties are having a great time and how do we create experiences that deliver at those crossroads um and so it was always like a very interesting time there was a lot of like talking with labels understanding okay, what's happening in this artist's career? What can we do around that? And then what's going to be valuable, beneficial, exciting, and like engaging for both the people on Twitter and also the artists themselves, because that's where you're going to get the highest quality content. And so um, a lot of brainstorming around that and, and, and working with all manner of artists and teams. So every artist wanted to do it differently. Some wanted to be directly in touch with you. Um, like Erica Badu, for example, there was no middlemen there. It was just us like texting about stuff we could do. And then somewhere it was a very controlled process, um, you know, a lot of planning, but still it needed to respect the integrity of the artist and, and what they were wanting to do and their message and their, their vision and their mission and how their audience was going to engage with that. Mm, yeah, great. no, that is um, really fascinating as well, Mark, because I think, um, like you said, engaging with different artists and looking at what they need to do sometimes i always think is that your gut reaction is the right one so i think when you plan mm -hmm. plan 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 it sort of like dilutes what you're trying to do and the project ends up being a bit maybe too corporate and you think mm, i'm not too sure about that what, what's your sort of take on that that definitely happens absolutely i think like i mean i see it i mean i think we, we all see it a lot of the time with an album that or a project that comes out or a rollout strategy around a single or anything like that, that just feels like, wow, this was, this feels very stiff um, and stale. And like, you know, this feels like the 20th iteration of this internally uh, that we're seeing now. And I can tell that the original idea was really cool, but it had to pass through a million layers and get edits along the way. And it ended up coming off um, a little tough, but I, and I, and I agree that I think like, this is something actually that is really important that I learned at Twitter was often just like the what the audience wants from the artist and a lot of the time what the artist wants to do is just be their super authentic self like unfiltered just you know quick thoughts that's like the stuff that really resonates in a social environment and they don't want to see tweets that have been fed through three social media people to like for you know whether or not this is okay to tweet or not um, they want to just see like what's going on in this person's brain, this person who I love their art. I think like, you know, I've connected with them emotionally, or I think it's really amazing, but what are their everyday thoughts and what are they like, what's happening in there? What, like, that was the type of stuff that always really, really resonated and is super successful today. I think if you go on Twitter artists who, you know, meme a lot or like say crazy stuff, like they have the most entertaining accounts to follow. And so I think the same thing follows for, you know, rollout plans or, or even music in a lot of ways is like if it's coming from that artist's genuine brain, like straight yeah. to paper, yeah. uh, you're going to get some really exciting stuff there. Yeah, it keeps it real, doesn't it? It's, yeah, it's yeah. genuine, like you say. Yeah. Authenticity is just like 
the most critical thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, how, how long was it that you actually worked for Twitter? You know, was it quite a few years? It was actually just under two years. Um, okay. I was right out of college. I was there, I think it was like a year and eight or nine months or something like that. Um, okay. My whole team was part of like a reorg. At the, I mean, we were sort of within the third round of a series of reorgs. Um, and like we ended up all getting uh, let go. Uh, so it was it was tough, but also that was another part of learning about what a, working at a big organization is like. <laughs> is, uh, yeah. yeah. Sometimes that just happens. Yeah. 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 So I guess that was when um, later you joined, you know, various technology companies, including World of Warcraft and many others, didn't you? Working in mm -hmm. operations and digital marketing strategy roles as well. So, yeah, tell us a little bit more about those roles and how those sort of experience, you know, were for you. Yeah. Um, so while actually while I was at Twitter, mm. um, I was on their music partnerships team, but they had partnerships team for all types of media, um, including like TV and news and, and video games. And the gaming one was one that I was interested in. I had sort of helped out on a couple of their projects from time to time because gaming was another passion of mine, something I had done, um, you know, a, a similar amount as much music research I did. I also gamed a lot as a kid um, and, and even as an adult. <laughs> and so I loved the industry. I knew it was a super exciting growing industry and still is um and their music their their video game partnership team i felt was you know was smaller compared to the music one and so um when i was then looking for new work i was looking for both music work but also for gaming work because i thought that it was something i was already toying with the idea of of, of dabbling in um and blizzard was a company that i loved i blizzard games had been like the bedrock of my gaming experience growing up so it had always been sort of a dream company to mm. work at. And when the opportunity presented itself there, there was a job that I felt like I was qualified for, that I could apply <laughs> for. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I jumped at it. And uh, yeah, I, I moved out to California. I started out just in sort of whatever job I could get there, honestly, which was um, operations on their marketing team. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, that, that basically just means doing a million different things that other people in other roles don't really have time for and connecting all the dots, mm -hmm. uh, making yeah. sure all people are talking, communications are not getting, you know, misconstrued or, mm. you know, deliverables are being completed and brought to the right people. And so that's the role I started in there. I had an amazing boss. I had an amazing team at Twitter too, honestly, like some of the best people I've ever worked with and I'm still in touch with them. Um, mm. and, and same at Blizzard. I had a great team there. Uh, one of the folks I worked with there is like still one of my best friends of all time. Um, mm. And that's cool. That's cool. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I mean, amazing companies have amazing people working at them. And I know that there's there's plenty of not great people working at, at, at every company as well. But uh, my teams, I was super lucky to be on just like incredible teams with really great folks on them, small teams as well, um, which which always led to like just a lot of people sharing ideas that, that were heard and mattered. Um, but yeah, I moved from operations uh, to sort of more so the strategy side of it rather than like just connecting dots as much and making sure everything was actually going according to plan. Still doing plenty of that, but uh, also working on the ideation around marketing campaigns, specifically, like you said, for, for World of Warcraft, um, for a couple of sort of patches and, and expansions there. And then um, also on like Hearthstone uh, and in the earlier days there on some Overwatch stuff as well. Um, and Diablo, just just whatever was happening, we had our hands in in terms of the North America media team there. So, um, yeah, it, it, that was really eye opening because I, I had learned a lot at Twitter about um, you know how musicians <laughs> interact with their audiences, what people want to hear and say to each other, how they want to interact. At, at Blizzard, it was like on this massive scale. What do what are we trying to say to you know, video gamers about a brand, about a game that is going to get them excited. Um, and that's, it's a very different method of communication than like one-to-one -one directly on Twitter from an artist to a fan is like a gaming company and an IP of brand to their potential audience and their existing audience about what, what are they going to, what can you say and show them and tell them that's going to get them excited to get the new expansion or buy the new cards for Hearthstone. So a different 
understanding, a different side of understanding how people uh, interact with a large sort of conglomerate or brand. Artists are brands in a way, so it's like a different kind of brand, but how, do the, how, do, how does an audience there interact with a brand um, on like from a monetary transaction perspective? just quite different than just like a social one yeah that's a really interesting point mm. marcus i um I, I suppose just to sort of share a little bit of experience with with yourself um when i was doing lots of festivals funny enough some of the brand interaction that we had where it would hitting young people so sort of 14 years up to maybe early 20s mm-hmm. and the one thing that but uh, i'm sort of curious to see if you had this experience especially when you're talking about with gaming i've never had worked with gaming companies but some of the brands i have worked with with young people it was really they were really intuitive and really um sharp to the fact that if you ply them with bad marketing techniques or bad products they just let you know and oh, they just walk away is it the same in gaming absolutely sort of? yeah i mean gamers are yeah. inherently online and they're really smart i mean the games that Blizzard makes are not easy. Um, and to be a really engaged player of their games, you know, the engaged audience, they're really quick and, and they can see right through um, a corporate sort of like wash on something. And they, they still want authenticity. They want to hear directly, you know, what's the deal that I'm getting? Or like, why is this good for me? Why is this bad for me? Um, all that stuff. So I, I totally agree with you that like, this audience, the demographic that we were trying to speak to, um, you know, they they see right through anything that's inauthentic, like super clearly. And it's the same with Quadio now. Um, you know, we're talking to college students who have been online their whole lives and have seen every manner of advertisement, marketing scheme, etc. And again, it comes back to just like an authentic voice and not trying to sugarcoat anything and not trying to tell them this is the way something is when it's not that way. Um, you have to be honest with this audience because they can see right through when you're not. Um, yeah, and I, and yeah. I think I think just um, just really interesting to sort of hear your take on that, Marcus, because I've never I sort of worked for corporate a long, long time ago on the label side of, it, but it's really mm-hmm. interesting to get your take because my I suppose outlook it's not outlook, but I suppose understanding now is that corporates can be a bit I say it like annoy me, and you think are you really sending the message that I want to hear? Or is it just, it's gone through layers of 10 people that they don't really know what they're talking about either, but they're just putting out this message because they've got to. And it's interesting to get your take on it, really. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I think that yeah, um, it happens, you know, like I was saying, like constantly where, where a big corporation, whether it be Twitter or Blizzard or, you know, any manner of, of brands that, that talk to their audiences through you know, newsletters or through Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, anything like that. Um, If the message that they're delivering has been run through 10, 15 layers of approval and has had the character and the edge and the authenticity sort of stripped out of it through revision after revision, it's just not going to land with people um, because they they want to hear like the unfiltered, the unedited version of it, because yeah. that's what they're yeah. used to. The, the, yeah. the creators out yeah. there, like the people that they follow, the YouTube creators, the, the Twitch streamers, that's like the media that they're consuming now. And that's all unedited. You know, it's all just like extremely live. And um, so so it's, it's ever more apparent to, to young people when something is not live and when something is not authentic. Yeah. Yeah, oh, totally. I know. I mean, I'm just thinking about my um, my little uh, nephew, um, and he's he's into gaming. Mm-hmm. He loves it. I mean, he's only. I mean, he was even eight, you know, like going on sort of oh, ten. He's it's sixteen. On, he's he's, he's switched, so switched, switched on, on, and he loves gaming. You know, he talks about Fortnite mm-hmm. constantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and and you can see how involved they are. That you know how they are like technically quite hard you know mm-hmm. to play so you and how old is he is he like 10 he's no, 10 like 10 yeah I bet he and he's talking me. as well I, I'm, 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 <laughs> yeah. honestly, honestly mark as I, I spoke to him a few weeks ago and he started talking to me about fortnite as if i played it which obviously i don't <laughs> um and then and i said what's cool about fortnite and he said well actually every month you get like a big movie like loki's coming now and you can actually buy the cloaks and bits and and he was going through like what marvel stuff does yeah. and yeah. and i said is that cool with you and oh yeah 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 he said because 
when Loki comes on, I can buy the cloak, I can buy this, and I thought, wow, he's really, he's Into really it. switched <laughs> on. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, with games nowadays, especially games that are sort of live, like like Fortnite, and so many games now where it's not a you buy the game at a game store one time you pay the price and you just have it forever so many of them are now like free and there's just recurring purchases that you can make either for like cosmetic whatever and that these like games as a service um nobody is like just logging on and playing the game there's so much of their time outside of playing the game is spent you know reading news articles about what's coming next month in the game or watching YouTubers talk about strategy for the game. So it's, it's more of like an ecosystem of creators and content and news and communities that surround that game so that your, your time spent actually playing the game is only like a portion <laughs> of your time actually engage, like engaging with it as a, as a brand in a lot of ways. And so, um, mm. yeah, it's, it's crazy how that has evolved. I think like every game that I've played in the last, you know, 10 years now has had like a big portion of my time is also researching it, looking at, you know, what the company is doing, what's coming next. And it's never a surprise when something comes out because it's all been documented mm. and talked about by a million people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so there's a great marketing strategy just in itself to do that, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. If you can get the <laughs> the big creators behind, uh, you know, behind your game and, and loving it and talking about how much they love it on their channels, like that, that will do more for your game or your brand than like any marketing campaign ever will because yeah. you're getting yeah. authentic yeah. praise from com community members and personalities that your audience respects and, and like appreciates the opinion of and that's that's invaluable yeah it's oh, a absolutely. big big community isn't it <clears throat> huge oh yeah. absolutely absolutely and that sort of um takes us nicely on Marcus because around 2018 you had this idea with this technology idea that you could unleash untapped talent to college artists mm -hmm. with your buddy Joe yeah um let's let's dive in yeah, and learn more about in. this we're really excited to learn more actually yeah audio um yeah so yeah I was I was at Blizzard uh I was working on marketing and, and Joe who's um I've known Joe forever he's basically my cousin I think like tech, in technical terms he's my step nephew but we're only like two years okay. apart okay, okay. Um, yeah, yeah so yeah. known him known him forever uh and i've known he was you know a musician he was an edm producer and uh he basically had the beginnings of the idea for quadio and he approached my mom at like a cookout that they were doing about it and my mom was like i don't understand what this is but you should call marcus because he knows more about music and technology and so joe rung me up one weekend i was like driving from like san francisco back to my house i think i had been up in san francisco for like some reason and we just ended up talking in the car for like the whole like drive which was i don't know like four or five hours or something like that uh, um about the idea to build a like an ecosystem specifically for college creatives, uh, specifically for college musicians at the time, um, to find their collaborators and share their music within their within their local communities. And so, the idea at first was like all around like this, just like streaming element of it. And if there was like a pseudo billboard chart for your school only, so yeah, the 2000 people in your school and, and and the college artists at your school that they were listening to and so you know it would sort of show what was hot right now on campus in terms of the music being created by the people on your campus amongst your peers and what was really bubbling at the top of your school could then start to show up on like this next tier up which would be like your state chart and that would have music from every school in your state and so as you saw success at your school level, you would be propelled onto this chart that would show all this, all the music being made by folks in your state who are in college, who are your your peers. So you weren't like competing with Drake or anything like that. You're competing with people at your skill level with the same access to studio space and knowledge and all that stuff. And uh, on a state level, if you sort of rose to the top of your state level, you would go to the regional level and then the national level. And so there was this trajectory that we were mapping out from like if you can just get your campus excited about your music and listening to it, 
that has this cascading effect that can drive you to like a national recognition amongst college students. And that's you know, national recognition amongst college students is what you need to be like the next big pop star. Like they are the demographic you want to be popular with if you want to be a huge, you know, top 40 artist. And so that was what we sort of started ideating around. And the idea grew to be part of this like competitive streaming network and then part the social network community side of it. So where you would go to find the collaborators that you would make that music with to then publish onto the Quadio platform. Um, and you could have like skills on your platform and what you were looking for, sorry, on, on your profile and what you were looking for on your profile. And you could find users by those same things. So I could put up, uh, you know, I have my profile and say, I'm a drummer um, and I'm looking for a band. And then a band could go on and search by people who were looking for a band and who were a drummer and they could find each other and then they could make yeah. a song and they could put it out on Quadio and then that could all happen. So mm. that was the early idea. Um, we sort of kicked it back and forth for about a, a whole summer and we started making some wireframes and started making a business plan. And in the fall of that year in 2018, we, I moved back to New York, Joe moved to New York from Boston and we like got into our living room together and we're just like working away on the idea. And eventually we're able to sort of fund it through friends and family and get started on building it out. Um, and it's turned into a lot of things since then, but that was how the idea started at least. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, it sounds like a really great sort of dynamic sort of working together, especially knowing each other for many, many years, you know, being relatives yeah. and all. So yeah, it sounds a phenomenal idea and a great sort of networking platform and it sounds like it's really building out with other areas as well by the sound yeah. of things um i mean so so we launched the platform at the beginning of the pandemic bad timing um because <laughs> yeah. it was a you know, no 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 that's good timing marcus that's good timing. <laughs> well it was helpful in a lot of ways because we realized that we had this whole plan for everything to like really work within your local community right there were so many levers you could pull yeah. on, a, on a campus to, yeah. to start generating that buzz around your music but it told us something we needed to know which was that what people actually really wanted and the, the parts of the platform that they were really using um way more so than the charts and the streaming aspects were the social aspects but we had really built it more for the, the streaming stuff. And so um, the social functionality was was like kind of secondary, uh, but it seemed to be where people who were really loving the platform were gravitating. So, uh, and I think, you know, perhaps part of that was that everyone was forced to go home and they still needed, wanted a way to connect with each other and collaborate remotely on music. And that part of the platform was delivering that for them. But uh, it, it forced us to sort of rethink the structure of the app and where we were focusing our efforts within it. And it became clear that if we really wanted to make the parts of the app that people were loving and using and getting value out of the central focus of it, we kind of needed to restructure it entirely from the ground up. And so that's kind of where we, what we've been doing for the last year now is restructuring the app with that at the core of it. And Part of that was also going beyond just musicians. Um, it used to be just for like audio musicians, et cetera. Now the new Quadio app experience will be for all creative types. So if you're a graphic designer and you're looking to work, you know, with, to make some album art, it's really easy for a musician on campus to find you. Or if you are a, a potter, a ceramicist, and you're looking for someone to design design a poster for your first gallery opening you can find that person on the platform as well and and all the things that you could still do with music are in terms of finding creatives is still a part of it but we're just welcoming more types of creatives into the, the ecosystem into the fold and the, the functionality reflects that as well so mm. that's what we've been doing uh and it's not out yet but we've got our hands on the app for internal testing right now and we're working to just polish it up before starting to get it out um into the world soon. Yeah, yeah. How have you found the student community, Marcus? Have they been really engaging? Have they felt something that that's theirs that they can actually work with rather than just sort of, oh, I'm just going to post my music to Sony or Warner and no one's ever going to be yeah, interested. Yeah, get lost is in it, the mix. Yeah, is it a bit more positive? Definitely, yeah. I think that what you were saying in terms of like that was something that people were actually really frustrated by is just posting their music on these platforms and never having anybody find it. 
um, mm. or their artwork, honestly, if you're talking about like a graphic designer posting it on something like Behance or Dribble yeah. and, and yeah. not having the ability without having garnered a following to, you know, get that exposure to, to the people who were going to love it. Um, and so one of the things that we were trying to do differently was you don't need to really have followers uh, to get your artwork or your music viewed on or listened to on Quadio because you're automatically going to be shown everything from your school. So, mm. you know, you can be a totally unknown freshman, just, just, you know, got to school for the first week and put out your music on campus and, and everybody on campus has the, the potential to hear it. And you have the potential to build an entire fan base where you had no followers. Um, and so that's still something that we're trying to make a big part of it. And that, that has actually caused a, you know, a lot of people to really love what we did. Um, because yeah. it, we've helped them not only find fans and an audience at their campus and beyond, but also find collaborators, um, people who are part of their sort of like creative crew from from having nothing and having nobody there. Um, and a lot of it was honestly born out of ideas and, and experiences that Joe and I had on campus. So Joe went uh, was a was an econ major at Williamson, like made EDM his whole time there, made music. <clears throat> didn't know anybody else really made music besides his roommate and his senior year went to like a songwriting class. And um, there was like a ton of people that he had known on campus and had no idea that they made music. And he was like blown away by the fact that there was all these people on campus. And he was into a pretty small school, like 2000 kids or so. And there were so many of them that made music that he just had no idea. And he said, we could have been collaborating for four years to make like so much better music and share ideas and and get better together, but there was just no visibility into who was doing this. And so that was part of the idea was like, let's provide that visibility into who's on your campus making music. And then for me, it's like, I loved that social element. I loved the fact that like, this was allowing artists to share their authentic work amongst their communities unfiltered. But also I, I had also experiences like this. I went to college and I was like, I played guitar, I was very bad. Uh, I, I hope no one ever heard me play guitar, but I think like if I had been able to use a platform like Quadio to find people who were equally bad at other instruments, we could have made a really bad band together and had a lot of fun and like had a great little community that we could have built around being awful at our instruments and having a good time. But uh, instead I sort of like my guitar now sits at the Quadio offices and other people use it and I just look at it. Um, <laughs> So I think like there's, <laughs> yeah. Quadio has the ability to be a platform that really delivers something special for people of all skill levels. You don't need to be great at what you do to find like-minded people and build a community using mm. the tools that we're trying to provide. Yeah, um, it sounds great. And how do you see, um, you know, working, what your plans with the company in regards to, would it be like a subscription base for like mm. the new talent, you know, that are coming through? Because, you know, if you're, you're a struggling musician, aren't you, when you're first starting out, especially at uni or, you know, college. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you sort of see that working? Have you, is it more of a sort of um, pay-as-you-sort-of-go? Is it to upload? How, how's that sort of going to work? It's it's totally free to use for okay. college artists. Um, mm -hmm. The monetization comes down the line uh, and not through like a pay to access or anything like that. We have a lot of ideas for how we plan to implement that, but in all likelihood, it's it's going to involve sort of external partnerships and relationships with brands and welcoming them into the ecosystem again in authentic ways. I have a lot of ideas about how to not disrespect our users and the experience and and bring in brands in a in a way that is beneficial for the whole ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And that's how we plan to approach monetization. And, and the goal is never to, like you said, college artists, young people, they have enough uh, places to spend their, their income and their limited income or, you know, any money that, that they have. Like there are so yeah. many different school books, you know, uh, yeah. needing to actually pay tuition, a million different things that, that they mm. can be spending their money on. And we don't want to be an extra burden on that. So the whole, the whole platform is, is free. Okay. Yeah. That's, 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 that's good. refreshing and encouraging. It, it sort of it, it seems really interesting as well, Marcus, that you're taking that, what you've learned from the big corporates and sort of amalgamating that into Cordo, but only selecting the brands that you feel will bring value, not from a, not just from a monetary perspective, but from sort of a cool brand perspective as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's tough. I mean, we want 
we, like I said, like we want the brands that come in to be getting a lot of value out of having access to a known quantity, which is exclusively an audience of, of college enrolled um, and college aged creatives. Mm. That's a really valuable demographic to have access oh, yeah, to yeah, as yeah. a brand. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. But also, we don't want the users of the app to feel like they're being relentlessly marketed to, or yeah. um, you know. That our yeah. access to them and the platform we built to them be abused for yeah. you know, any number of reasons. So wanting the relationships that we we build with brands and the way we bring them into our ecosystem to feel really authentic and organic. And I think that we've tried to do that um, throughout the pandemic. You know, we've been spending a lot of time still trying to keep our audience really engaged, doing songwriting clubs, um, keeping a Discord going, um, trying to find opportunities to bring in industry veterans to give, you know, what we've called professed sessions, which is like they come in and they give talks to our audience. And a lot of these have been sponsored of involved brands, but not in a way that's been super overt. It's been in a brand basically having access, you know, to speak directly to an, to an audience we know they want to reach, but also delivering them something in, in return, which is access to a really cool speaker or a really important bit of information that, is super valuable for a young person to know like how, how to distribute your music and all this stuff uh that that a lot of the information that's often like locked behind a paywall and trying to free that up for for young creatives mm. yeah no i, I echo that 100 percent, marcus and i think um it'd be really interesting to learn a bit more about your sort of partnership with symphonic distribution and do you think that's sort of going to help change the distribution landscape for new indie artists with like their new anal analytics and royalty and payment services? It'd be great to sort of learn more in this area. Yeah, totally. That, that, it's a pretty new partnership. Um, I mean, we've been working on it with them for a while, but we know that distribution is a difficult beast for young musicians. Um, it's a complicated landscape. It is one where there's not often a lot of support um, you know, if you submit stuff, there are so many people using these services that, you know, something goes wrong or you need to change something. It's quite difficult to get in touch and, and get those things changed, get the answers that you need. And what we love that about Symphonic is that it's a really hands-on platform. Um, it, it has a lot of shared values with us as a company about um, being available to your users and having a great relationship with them, answering their questions quickly, being, you know, and also just being an excellent, like, you know, very uh, White Gloves uh, distribution service. And so um, the partnership with them felt like it made a lot of sense from a brand perspective. We felt really aligned there. They're really excited about what we're doing. We're really excited about what they're doing and saw this opportunity to basically launch a, a partner distribution platform where you can distribute through Symphonic via Quadio and um, you get access to really great analytics distribution that is just like top notch and also access to support and help and guidance, um, not only from us, but also from the symphonic folks. And so um, it just felt like a really natural partnership there and one where we can be helping out artists by helping them find their collaborators, helping them create their music, get feedback on their music, hone it to a point where they feel comfortable releasing it. And then we can be their partner in the process of actually releasing that more widely um, and share in their success as they see it. Um, and, and on wanting the team ourselves, uh, you know, the Quadio Records team as well, to be a resource to the folks who distribute through Quadio Records um, throughout the whole mm. process. Sounds really exciting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about it. And, and Symphonic have been awesome partners and excited to have folks starting to distribute through through our uh, our partnership. Yeah, yeah, no, I think, I think that's really, um, really cool. And I think it's one of the biggest frustrations as well Marcus, is that the industry's changed mm. so much over the year. It changes every hour, let alone every year. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I just sort of remember probably giving away my age 20 years, 25 years ago, sitting in offices and, you know, labels then weren't really interested in, in digital. Um, everything was still going to be on a CD. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, there's a big discord with live and label uh just everything the whole industry is so disconnected mm. that with a new person coming into it do they stand a chance it's difficult but with the right information and, and knowledge then mm. i think i think i do think anything's possible um and 
correct me if I'm wrong, Marcus, but you know, your college network and I mean, I lived in California for a while, New York and the college students there, it's just huge. Yeah, Why has no massive. one else tapped into it? Or they just, have they just been, they haven't seen the opportunity. I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the college network is enormous. I think that there's a number of, of sort of factors that I feel like play into it. It was just like difficult, really difficult to reach in a way that feels authentic. And it, and it was not easy for us to start those relationships and maintain that relationship in a super authentic way, because, you know, the shortcut there is just pouring a ton of money into it and getting really wide reach. But what we did was we had a team of people who literally drove around in a, and their and Joe's mom's borrowed car and went from campus to campus and set up in-person meetings by just like DMing people on Instagram and sitting down and talking to them and asking them, what do you want to get out of a platform like this? And that type of thing really helped us establish real relationships with our potential audience and our users from a super early start. So we had a very clear picture from the source um, built through like hundreds of thousands of conversations with, with college artists about like what they actually wanted and what they actually needed. Um, and I don't think there's anyone else who was really doing it on that that scale or in that way. Um, and also, I think in a lot of ways, you could view a platform built exclusively for one only audience and there's no one else allowed. Um, that's a scary thing for a business. It sort of puts a ceiling on the total number of users you can have. Um, but given our size and given what we're trying to accomplish, uh, we're not so worried about that. I think like we want a, a tight knit uh, exclusive community for people who we know are an underserved and underappreciated community in the music space. Um, they're, you know, college aged folks, college enrolled folks uh, are just creating some of the most amazing stuff out there. I think there's also just like an, a lack of understanding within the industry sometimes. And it's just partly because information gets lost within the industry because you're saying it's so big and so disparate. Um, people don't have a great concept of just like how much incredible, truly incredible art is coming out of people who are in college. And that's not just music. I mean, we now have a place on our discord for graphic designers and for photographers and videographers and the work that we see blows our mind constantly. It looks like stuff that you, is super professional. Um, and I think the assumption from a lot of people is that because folks, these, these are young people, they're still honing their craft. Like, let's wait to see what they put out once they're older or once they've had put out a couple of EPs or projects and, and gotten better at it perhaps. But the reality is access to the tools and the information and the collaborators and the team necessary to put out, you know, an incredible sounding, very professional sounding project, um, whether it be an album, an EP, you know, a graphic design portfolio, a, a video, like a whole movie, honestly, those tools are so much more accessible than they ever were. Um, and, and college students are smart and they're taking advantage of that and they're putting out incredible work uh, at a really young age. And so um, I think maybe there's like a lack of understanding or respect for how great these kids are um, and how great, you know, college students as a whole are at so many things. And so uh, maybe not everyone has taken advantage of that and decided to to really hone in on that space in a real way. Definitely. And just going back to, you know, how the industry has changed so much, um, you know, over the years, what would you personally change about the entertainment industry? Is there anything that really sort of frustrates you mm. that you would, you would wish it was a bit different? That's a really good question. Um, I think for, in a lot of ways, I've been quite separated from it for the last two years and three years working at Quadio. We've been sort of in our own heads and in our own world and our interactions with the industry as a whole have been largely through very recently us sort of starting the record label on our side as well. Um, I think that it would be great if a lot of like artists who were, and this is much my personal opinion, but I think well, I love when an artist pushes boundaries. And I think that there's a lot of people who hear something that is quite challenging and um, just don't give it a chance because it doesn't, it's not going to be top 40 because just, you know, the really, the really big artists are not trying, not necessarily doing anything particularly challenging from a, from a music perspective. Um, 
I love that there are more labels nowadays, I feel like doing and supporting and representing obscure or challenging or experimental music. I, I like to see more of that. I, I love it when an artist who I find to be very different um, gets the support that they need to pursue their career professionally. Um, I think like just more of that would be great. Uh, the more support channels there are for people willing to and, and eager to push boundaries, um, the better. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Because I mean, you know, the development side of things is, you know, there's not really the development mm -hmm. side now for new artists. So I, th I agree with you, you know, the, to create like the new, you mm -hmm. know, David Bowie or, or whoever, you know, Michael Jackson, just pushing those boundaries, you know, just to see someone unique, you know, whatever yeah. they are and whatever genre. So yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I agree with that. There are definitely artists that I love who have been able to make it work on just totally on their own, unsupported. And that's awesome. But I think that, that is not something that everybody's going to be able to do. So if the tools were there from like a industry perspective for those types of trendsetters to be rewarded and supported and mm. given the space to build a career without necessarily immediately making money yeah. off of it, but with the belief that they would eventually, um, you know, that would be, that'd mm -hmm. be great. I know it's tough because you're asking big businesses to take a big risk on something that is unheard but i think you know it's happening more and more now as there are more niche labels and communities and the space mm -hmm. to enjoy and listen to that music is um really growing with with the advent of like places like discord communities and, and reddit communities that like really love a specific type of music or specific niche of music it's happening more and more now but i think like again the more support that can be thrown behind that the better yeah, I, I, mm -hmm. I think so, and I think um, also as well, it works. It does work in tandem as well, um, Marcus. With you know, the major labels have still got to be fed by you know what's going on in the world, and they still mm -hmm. want to be able to put out great music, and it's got to start from grassroots. So it's got to come from somewhere, and I do think you know I agree with you 100 percent that the way that the industry has shifted and changed over over the years, you can actually set up a label now. I, I mean, when I first started setting up a label and doing that was know out of the reach for most people because it's really really expensive but now you can buy a laptop and you know you get your llc yeah. and and go and see an attorney for half an hour and, and pretty yeah. much you're there really to be honest with you um go and find some acts and 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 get on with it and it's always been the acts for me especially at festivals have always been the ones that are, are far far up in the field in a tent that no one's ever seen and you go and see the band perform and you come away going wow that was yeah actually really cool mm. um so yeah i thought yeah i agree i think it's really cool yeah what advice would you give to sort of new people coming into the industry today what would be your sort of uh, your golden nugget of advice great question uh i think i would go back to just the authenticity conversation we were having earlier it there's nothing more important than allowing you know the authentic creative voice of the artist that you're if you believe in an artist like believe in their authentic voice as well and and give that room to be heard and be seen um because that's going to be like your clearest road to success to finding an audience that resonates with that whether it be a small one or a big one if there's a group of people that can be the super fans of an artist who is displaying their authentic voice you've got listeners for life there um and that's only an audience that's going to grow because those people become evangelists for that artist they're going to tell all their friends about them and they're gonna, you know, be putting up, putting that artist on all their playlists and stuff like that. So, I, you know, I think like create that authentic relationship with your fans, generate, you know, focus all of your early attention and effort on building like three or four just fanatics for what you do, because those people will then do more for you in terms of like marketing you as an artist than any, you know, industry budget could ever do. So develop that those early fans love them and like listen to them and give them what they want and then you know follow yeah. that path and you're golden yeah can agree more, can agree more with that let's go <laughs> <laughs> let's go yeah that is our internal uh, catchphrase actually at quite oh, is it? yeah okay. Okay. Oh, well, there we go. Maybe, maybe bex and i just appear in new york and just say let's go team come on <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> it's a, it's our rallying cry there you go <laughs> <laughs> love that so 
I mean, you've got so many exciting things going on at the moment, Marcus, but what is sort of next for you? What's your sort of timeline for you and your team over the sort of next year or so? Yeah, I mean, so much in a startup space is unknown. And every time we talk about a timeline, it changes a month later uh, or a week later or less. But yeah, right now on, in broad strokes, what we're targeting is, is getting the app into people's hands and starting to get their feedback on it and uh, improve it from there. Because we're, we're trying to get out, I think, as well with something that is just got the, the real fundamentals, the stuff that we know people want, and then listen to them about what they think is missing, what they think can be improved, and build those changes first. I think last time we were a little too prescriptive with the, the changes that we made, and this time just we want to hear what they have to say. So a lot of it is just put the ball in the court of our users and respond to them and, and build there. Um, and on top of that, growing the quality records label, um, continuing to engage with our audiences in really um, authentic ways and, and hearing from them and, and amplifying them. Yeah. Uh, that's the goal. Yeah. Coming soon, the app. Huh? Uh, Coming soon. This fall. There we go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. It all sounds really good. We're, we're excited. I mean, it's, a, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's going to revolutionize things. I think um, it's something like that's needed and to support that community. So I think, I think it's going to resonate really well. Don't you, Pete? I mean, it's. Well, I think, great. I think lots of people, and my own experience and just my own personal thoughts, really. Um, they do miss a trick with young people. Going back to a point you said earlier, Marcus, well, maybe we'll watch to see what happens in the next five years. No, no, no. If you're old enough, you're good enough. It's mm. as simple as that. And it's it's the same in sport. Mm -hmm. If you know, if you're playing with the big boys and you're good enough, you stay there. So mm. I don't tend to agree with that. This this yeah, uh, especially in the UK, Marcus. UK is very. Uh, well, we'll see what happens next week, but we want to have a cup of tea and go on holiday and we'll get back to you. And we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it in three weeks' time. If someone says to you they're going to talk to you about it in three weeks' time, that means two months. And if you go past two months, they, don't, they, they can't even remember your name. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you hear me? It's like, yeah, hear, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you sort of sit in a meeting, and totally. I'm sure you've done this many, many times, and you're having a conversation, you walk away. What a great meeting that was. Two weeks later, no one's even, oh, well, he's left or that person's now gone. Or, oh, mm. no, it didn't quite work out. What? what, like what? Communication breakdown, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. It's a lot of just needing to jump on it. And, and the world's moving fast because, I mean, now if you pass on something, there's a lot of people who won't. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people who will just jump on things because they've just got that let's go yeah. mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of the larger, slower organizations are uh, missing yeah. out on that. Yeah. I guess that is the difference, isn't it? Of having big corporates and then yeah. smaller independent. You don't have to go through many different channels of signing things off. And, you know, you've got to, like you say, act now, let's go. You know, that's what oh. that's what we want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think um, maybe Pete and Bex are going to be working for Cordo in New York. What do you think, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome over here anytime, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, there you know. But I do think yeah. um, it's nice to... Um, you know, just have the conversation about young people because it obviously because what we're doing the podcast and what you know what, what we do over here, we think it's important as well because at the end of the day, you know, David Bowie isn't here anymore, mm -hmm. Michael Jackson isn't here anymore. Mm -hmm. um, they've got to be replaced, and there are artists that are out there like great graphic designers, great artists, great mm -hmm. photographers. Um, they've got to come from somewhere. To be and half of the problem totally. is not being yeah. seen, isn't it? And just yeah. not having the access to reach people. Absolutely. And that's that's frustrating for a lot of people. So if there's any any platform like what you're doing, I can't see any wrong in it at all. It's a, a great great thing that you're doing. I appreciate that. So, I appreciate yeah. the confidence. Yeah, we wish you all the best with it. Thank you so much. We're doing everything in our power yeah. to to deliver. Last of all, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing at Cordo? That'd be great if you want to share that with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, um, the best place to keep up with us is going to be our Instagram account. Uh, we're putting all our updates there, um, which is uh, at Quadio Media on Instagram. Um, we also have a newsletter that goes out every week with updates about all the things that we're doing, which you can sign up for on Quadio.com. Uh, and uh, let's see. I've also our Discord server so if you're a young musician or a young artist of any kind uh our discord server is awesome there's 
collaborations happening there all the time. We have early announcements about a lot of the things that we're doing there. And uh, we also do songwriting and uh, visual art competitions on a like a biweekly basis um, that are really exciting. And there's all sorts of amazing creatives participating in those. So uh, yeah, uh, follow us along on those three places, the Discord. I think you can find the link for that like on our Instagram or on our website. Both places have links to it, I believe. So um, yeah, that's the best place for now. As soon, the app will soon be the best place, but not yet in the App Store or Google Play Store. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Brilliant. All I can say, guys and girls, sign up. Go and find out the experience. Mm. Check in with Marcus. Go. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. No, well, thank you so much, Marcus, for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you and learn more about your background and what you're doing. Yeah, it's been amazing to talk to you as well. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Entertainment Engine. And thanks for listening. Join us again next week for more great guest interviews from the world of entertainment. It would be great to have your feedback on the show. So please drop us a message at any time. We would love to hear from you. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening to the show. And remember to all stay safe. The Entertainment Engine.